They are in the bulletin. It's so easy doing announcements where that's all I have to say. Wow. Although I guess I think I would like to add, if you're interested in going to Argentina with us on a missions trip in February, please pray about it. We would love to have you there singing that song that we just sang. And um, that is coming up. Just let me know, Pastor Greg, know if you're interested in that. We have to know really, really, really soon, though, because we've got to buy those tickets, which can be ex- expensive. We're in the book of Zechariah. So on Sunday night, we're going Genesis through uh, Malachi. Uh I'm, I'm really get, I'm having to make my mind up really, really soon what we're going to get, where, where we're going at the end of Malachi. I think we're going to skip all the way to Revelation and then go back to Genesis, to be honest with you. I think that's what we're going to do. So, uh, <laughs> um, that's what I think we're going to do. Anyone need a Bible? Anybody? George here needs a Bible. Zechariah, let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this evening and this uh, wonderful, wonderful book that we're in this evening, the book of Zechariah. And Lord, we know that this, this book was placed here not to be ignored, Lord, so much of the Old Testament. It, it sits on a book, on a shelf, and... It's ignored for the better part of our life, even though you, Lord Jesus, say that you're, you're right in there. From Genesis to Malachi, you're there, and I just pray, Father, you'd present yourself to us this evening in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we have had some interruptions on Sunday night, so I just want to Review Zechariah, who's this guy? Uh, Sean, let's put up uh, let's put up a couple of these timelines. This is my all-time favorite uh, chart of all time, my whole life. This is it. So, um, well, um, so here the king. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So Israel, after the time, Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the, God established the messianic line. Um, He took over from Saul. Saul was a a king that, uh, the type of king that uh, before Saul, there was no king of Israel. God wanted to be their king. He didn't want a man as their king. But they cried out for, to be like other nations. They wanted to, to have a king like um, other nations did. And they wanted a real tall guy, a handsome guy, and a charismatic guy. And they got one. His name was Saul. And they found out what a man kind of king was like. He, he, he really used the people just for his own power and his own glory. So he died in battle. David took over. God established his kingdom that, uh, and the messianic line that went right to Jesus Christ and Solomon. After Solomon... There, were the, there was a civil war, and the nation was divided into the north and the south. And the northern kings, every single one of these kings here, all bad, every single one of them, especially this guy, Ahab. That's right. Perfect, on cue. And even though they would never repent, God would send some of his most famous prophets. So what this chart is, it's a chart of prophets. Here are the northern prophets. Elijah went to the north. Elisha, Amos. And so if you could go down, Isaiah is in the south, um, southern kingdom, with, the, with Judah and Benjamin. So, you know, you, you can scroll. So Micah, Nahum, Jeremiah, all the way up to this king called Zedekiah. He was the last king of Israel where there, uh, a, a king sat on the throne of Israel. There has not been one since. And there will not be another one until Jesus Christ sits as the king. Zedekiah. Jeremiah here, prophet Jeremiah, for 40 years warned all these guys, look, if you don't repent, 
and, or, uh, warned them, but also the nation that they, that they ruled over, if you don't repent, Jerusalem is going to be wiped out. The temple is going to be wiped out. It's going to be burned and, 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 and ruined. And they never repented. There was never a full repentance. And so right here, right here is when Jerusalem was burned. So you can continue scrolling. So right here, they went to Babylon, 900 miles away. Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed Jerusalem, hauled off the uh, people of Israel. Actually, uh, he, he killed a, a third of them. Um, and, uh, but a lot of them uh, went back to Babylon, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And while during the Babylonian exile, you have these two prophets raised up, Ezekiel and Daniel. But Jeremiah prophesied here that the exile would be for 70 years. The people would be exiled to Babylon for 70 years. So after that, the Israelites come back into the land. No longer are they a sovereign nation. They don't have their own king. However, they are in the land and they do rebuild the temple um, at that time, they rebuild the walls. And during that time, you have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Malachi, last prophet in the Old Testament. Haggai and Zechariah were two prophets that the Lord raised up in order to get the people to get on with it, to get on with their business. They have been told to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They came back for a year or two and uh, started the building process, but then they just, uh, they just stopped. They were disobedient to the Lord. Now they stopped because some soldiers showed up, but they really, they were supposed to press on. 15 years went by, 15 years, and there was just this rubble of the former temple lying around, and Haggai starts up, gets back, and he and he gets back there, and he starts to rebuke them. What are you guys doing? You came back for the purpose. You came back for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. You need to do what you're supposed to do. And then uh, Zechariah, on the other hand, he came back, and what he did was share visions. He shared visions with them, wonderful visions of what God was going to do in this, in this city, which was now had been flattened and burned. It was nothing but rubble. In Zechariah chapter 4, he says, now speak to that rubble, grace, grace. God's going to take that rubble, and he's going to do a great thing out of it. And that's what he does with our lives too. When we make a mess out of it, and there's a big pile of rubble, uh, through Christ, through the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God, uh, that he, he takes the rubble and he makes it into something wonderful, wonderful, something uh, special. And so there you have it. I think we can, I think that one's good enough, Sean. We have some other stuff to, that I could have shown you, but it's stuff that, it's kind of like, it just interests me and, and it'll just put you guys to sleep. So we will just uh, um, go to chapter eight. We're in chapter eight. It says, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying. So, the, so, um, so chapters one through six were really one long vision. He does get, which really occurred in one night. Um, and, and, and then the Lord does give him a word. So like Haggai, he starts sharing a word as well. And it's a very encouraging one. Now remember, this is to an extremely defeated, discouraged people. They walk around a rubble, a, a mountain of rubble every day, which is a reminder of their failed past, of the sin of their forefathers. That's what it was. And so now herein comes um, Zechariah, and he says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Now the King James Version um, says jealous, and it's unclear which word is the correct translation. One translation says 
uh, one translation says zealous, the other says jealous. But to be sure, you as a born-again Christian, if you have uh, given your life to Jesus, if you've believed uh, 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 in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and if you've declared with your mouth that he's the Lord, and you're a a born-again Christian, you can step right into that verse and believe and understand that with great fervor, God is zealous for you. He is zealous for you. He really, really is. I spend a lot of my time as a pastor trying to convince people of the truth of God's word that in Christ, as we were talking about this morning, you are in the flock of God. You are a sheep. You're God's sheep. And he's zealous for his sheep. If a sheep, one, leaves the 99, he's zealous for that one. He will go and get it. He's zealous for you. But he's also, he was zealous for, for, for Jerusalem, for Zion, for Israel. And as um, a people who are defeated and living these defeated lives, living in this, can you imagine living in New York City with all the buildings and uh, rubble on the ground? There's, the, you know, where, where the people who, who lived there knew what it used to live like. Well, a lot of the people who returned actually were there. And they were old now, but it says they were actually there. And, and it says they wept at one point because they remembered how great um, the temple was. And, and, and hearing this as a word of encouragement, look, I'm zealous for you, Zion. I'm zealous for you, Israel. I'm going to do something about this. Verse 3 says, thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Now, when you see that as an Old Testament believer, I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That means that God's, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we, you, are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. You are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do you not realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, though, an Old Testament believer hearing this from Zechariah is thinking, wow, he's going to return to the temple, to the Holy of Holies. And the, t- the t- temple now, there's, any, there's no temple. And, and so this is, um, this is a, uh, a prophecy that it's going to be rebuilt. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. That's quite a statement. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, is what it's going to be called again. It says, thus old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. And so now there is a short-term fulfillment of this. Um, There would once again be old people in the streets. Let me just continue there. It says, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. So, you know, we have seen a taste of this in our time where there was a time where boys and girls used to be able to play in the streets. Not so anymore. And, 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 and this is sort of a sign of, of the downward spiral of our society. Well, there was a time where boys and girls used to play in the streets of Jerusalem, but no more. They, but no more. This, the city had been destroyed. It had been taken over uh, basically by gang warfare circa 500 BC. It was not a safe place anymore. And the people knew it. And, 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 and Zechariah is saying, no, Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. Now, in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus returns, the Bible says that um, the Messiah would come tw- twice, one time to bear the sins of the people for salvation. And then he would come a second, he's going to come a second time. Jesus said, the last thing he said before he went up to heaven is, I'm going to return. And when he returns, it says that he is going to establish millennial reign. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. There's going to be peace um, in the land. And one of the things that's going to happen is that old age will be restored. And so you'll have, just like prior to the flood, you'll have six, seven, 
800-year-old men and women walking around. Now, that's a hard thing for me to, to understand. I, I tell you what, I see in downtown Boston uh, these, these billboards that say the average retirement, uh, average, uh, uh, like 30% of you are going to live to 120. And I'm like, please, Lord, not me. Please, God, please, God. That's not... I, I, it's prudential, prudential. Why are you doing that to me? I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to to to, to read that. I, I want to go on to be with the Lord uh, sooner rather than later. But but in the millennial reign, health will be restored. Um, the glo- people who had previously died uh, will come back with glorified bodies. It will be a time. Um, very, very different from now. So like many Old Testament prophets, there's a near-term fulfillment where Jerusalem was going to be restored. There's going to be a long-term fulfillment, though, and it's going to be um, in the millennial reign where health will be restored. Verse 6 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Now this is again, it's been given to a people who are defeated, who have basically listened to their fears and given in to their fears. They didn't continue the rebuilding. Zechariah and Haggai have been brought by the Lord to convince them to move on. We know from the book of Ezra, it took only a matter of months. With Zechariah doing tag team with Haggai, just a few months for them to start rebuilding that temple. Jeremiah tried for 40 years to get them to repent. Took Zechariah and Haggai three or four months it says in there in chapter 4 of Zechariah, just a few chapters back, it says, not by, my, not by my power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, this is going to be accomplished. And, and that's why it was different this time. There's a move of the Holy Spirit. There was a, the people surrendered to the move of the Holy Spirit. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 9, let your hands be strong. You have been hearing in these days. Their, their, their hands were weak. And, and, and the few people who had been faithful were waiting for a move of the Lord. Where's Pastor Scott? Hey, Pastor Scott, you know at the end of the service this morning, he's looking down. He's, oh, now he's looking at me. It's freezing in here. <laughs> was anyone cold this morning? I, I was about to die, but I, I, at the morning service, it's not quite as informal as it is at the evening service. Sorry. Sorry, Pastor Scott. At least one person... Um, told me they were really, really hot, but they were pregnant, and so there was an explanation there. Um, so, uh, so, uh, where was I? Let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days. So, at this time, they're, they're, they're weak, but there are some still that are, that are faithful to the Lord and they believe in the promises of God. They believed that the temple was going to be rebuilt. They re- believed that, that there was going to be a move of God. And, and, you know, so often it's just a few being faithful. A few being faithful over the years. That after a while, the Lord sees their faithful and then trigger, triggers a mighty work. You know, um, particularly doing a new work, like a new church plant, seeing it over the years here in Boston. And, 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 you know, people start, we've started up several Bible studies, different ministries and stuff. And I remember when we started a ministry um, in the housing development over there at Calvary Kids. And uh, Calvary Kids, we, we, we meet once a week um, and we go into the, uh, into the housing development and we teach the kids the Word of God. It's an important ministry of this church. Uh, we're on we're on break right now. We're going to be starting back up in January. We're we're sort of in training and prayer right now. And I remember Angelina Angelina uh, Reno when she when she uh, when she started. I'm not going to try to pronounce her new name. That's just too hard. But she got married. And she has a long last name. I I, I can't pronounce it. But um, 
She started with that ministry with just a couple of kids, and there was just a few kids the first few years, and then it you know, went up to about a half a dozen. But the story that is so encouraging to me, we also have a bus ministry in this church. Every Sunday morning, we come in um, with a bus. We call it a bus, but it's a van. So don't be intimidated to sign up for the van ministry. You're not driving a, a 36-kid bus. You're driving a van, or you're just sitting in the driver's in the passenger seat. But she really wanted to take some of these kids to 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 church that she was teaching on on Wednesday. She was teaching on every Wednesday. So every single Wednesday, she said, "Meet me in the parking lot, and I will um, meet me in the parking lot of your uh, Alice Edward Taylor over there." at Johnson Community Center, and um, I'll meet you there on Sunday morning. I'll take you to church. So she, she came to me one time, and she goes, you know, for, um, I've been doing this, sitting in this parking lot every single Sunday morning for six months, and I still haven't taken a kid to church. I, do you think that's a good use of my time? And, and, and I thought to myself, that's not, a, that's not a good use of her time. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell, but then all of a sudden the Lord checked me and, and no, you tell her to do that. You tell her to continue to do that. And, and I just said, look, as long as you feel you should be doing it. She did it for a year and a half. She's went every single, every single, every single Sunday morning. She went to the empty parking lot, sat there for five minutes. No one came. That's how the bus ministers. Now we come every single morning. We have, we have a van of, of kids. But the Lord saw her faithfulness. And, and I'm telling you, it's that kind of faith. Women's, our women's study in our church for the first year and a half, there was just two women. But I'm telling you, that's the kind of faithfulness that the Lord, it just blesses his heart to see it. And whenever I say, uh, hear of, of folks um, that to just have a couple people in the ministry, don't get discouraged. The Lord just wants to see faithfulness. That's all he wants to see. And, 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 and so um, he says here in verse 9, let your hands be strong. You have been hearing in these days, meaning there were some, there were a few who, were, who had been faithful. They had been listening to the voice of the Lord. They had been. And, and he's, he's, speaking, he's speaking to them in that way. You who have been spe- hearing these words, these mouths by the prophets who spake, spoke in the day the foundation was laid. So there were a few people who had heard the prophets 15 years earlier that there was going to be a temple built who still believed it. They still believed it. For the house of the Lord of hosts that the, house, that, that the temple might be built. For before those days, or these days, there were no wages for man, nor, were, nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went in or came in. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. So prior to the um, Israelites coming back from Babylon, this is what it was like. This is a description of it. It says, before they came back, there was no wages for man nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace. And, and so that, again, it was like gang warfare. It was just not a safe place before the return. And so he's reminding them here, this is 15 years later, that look, already you see the hand of the Lord. Things are different. God has been moving. Verse 11, but now I will not treat the remnant of the people as in former days says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine give its fruit, the ground shall give an increase, the heaven shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these, and it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. He wants them to get back to work. And notice there, he says, just as you were a curse. And, and one thing that we read uh, throughout the prophets, that because of their behavior, the Lord made them a, 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 a really a, a curse. Je- Jeremiah 24, 9, I will deliver them, the people of Israel, to be removed into all the kings of the, of the earth for their hurt, 
to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse. And Daniel says the same thing. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they may not obey thy verse, voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us. They were a curse. And so it says here that in verse 13, and it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse, it says, you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. I tell you, the devil just wants us to live in fear. Hmm. He wants us to live in fear. Again, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, may devour. You know how he devours us so often? Just with fear. Fear is the snare, the trap of man, the Bible says. It does not... It, the Bible says he hasn't given a spirit of fear, but of righteousness. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. The opposite of sound mind is a, sound, a mind gripped by fear. He's saying, do not fear. However, he's going to do this great thing to them. And he's going to do it purely on the basis of grace because they don't deserve to have the city rebuilt or the temple rebuilt. They don't deserve any of that. They don't, have, they don't deserve for their enemies to be pushed away. But the Lord is always, you know, he honors his, his word above his name. I mean, he's serious about his word. And, he, and so he's like, look, I'm going to do this, but I want you guys to take my word really seriously. And so he says in, in verse 16, these are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these things I hate, says the Lord. Lying. You know, I, I counsel, I give counsel to, to married couples where there's been physical adultery. And you know what's so amazing to me that I find in these counseling sessions? Every time. What I find is that what's more painful than the adultery is the lying that accompanies it, the lying. Every husband who's an adulterer is a liar. Every wife who is an adulteress is a liar. They have to, they have to lie in order to keep up the thing. And so much more damage occurs Honestly, this, is, this has been my experience through the lying than through the adultery. It's true. And when, an, and when a nation is characterized by lying, just the foundation crumbles. The nation cannot sustain itself. It cannot. Interesting how he begins. He's got, he wants to rebuild this people. He wants to rebuild a witness in the area of Palestine, in this area. Interesting how he starts it. Look, could you guys start with telling the truth to each other? Can, can we do that, please? Verse 18, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus the Lord of hosts says, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, 
shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah therefore for the house of Judah therefore love the truth and peace so for those of you who have a good enough memory to remember 3 weeks ago when we were in chapter 7 the priests came to once the temple was reestablished the priests uh, a group of priests came to Zechariah and said, you know these fasts that we've been fasting? Do we keep weeping on these fasts? Do we keep weeping? And th- these four fasts, in verse 18, one of them, the fast of the fourth month was when Jerusalem was taken. Um, the, the fast of the fifth was when the temple was destroyed. The fast of the seventh month was when Gedaliah who was um, the governor appointed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar was assassinated. And then the fast of the 10th month was the, the first time that Israel was attacked. It was attacked three times, the last time the Babylonians destroyed it. And they, and, and, they, and they had implemented these fasts, these four fasts. Now, God never told them to do any of these things. And this is religion. This is what man does. We come up with religion. We come up with tradition. And it was never ordained by God, and they were fasting. And what the Lord here says, he says, I'm going to turn all those days into joyful feasts. Nehemiah, who's living about the same time he now, he is alive at this point, Zechariah's time, says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is the mark of a Christian. Now, I don't always have joy in my life. But when I don't have joy in my life, it is an indication that something is wrong. And I don't live under condemnation of that. It's just an indication from the Lord that something is wrong. Something's wrong. And I need to seek the Lord as to what that is. He is faithful. I I have found to... um, you know, I, I, I have found to reveal it, but I, I find it really interesting that man, man's version of religion is to be miserable. <laughs> Isn't it incredible? He had made these four fasts, these four fasts. Man at the time had made these four fasts. None of them had been ordained by God. And on these fasts, each year, they just wept. They wept in front of each other. But that's not, that's, man-made religion is always filled with, with sorrow. It's, it's not appealing. It's not appealing to the unbeliever, and it does nothing even for the believer. That's what religion, that's what man-made religion does. But God says, I'm going to turn these fasts, verse 19, into joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Verse 20, thus says the Lord, people shall yet come Inhabit inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and uh, pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. And so he's saying, I'm going to be with them. I, because by this time the land has been desolated. The, the Assyrians went through um, in northern Israel and just left the land barren and desolate. Then the Babylonians came in in the south and left that land desolate. And, he, and Zechariah is telling him, take hope. All those cities are going to return. By the time that Jesus was born in Nazareth, the northern part of Israel, Galilee, was one of the most densely populated places, I believe, at the time, in the world. Hundreds of villages and cities all over the place. At this time, this is about five or 600 years earlier, there's just desolation. And Zechariah here prophesying, all those cities, they're going to come back. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men shall come from, ev- from every language of the nation, shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, in the millennial reign, when all the nations of the world 
will be ruled by Jesus. This is at a time in the future. Certainly that will be the case. That, wow, Jesus, God, he reigns in Jerusalem. And, 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 and it says, this is a really cool prophecy here. In those days, 10 men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, take, take us to this place. That did happen. That did start happening um, at the time of Jesus. If you if you remember in, in in John chapter twelve, you don't have to turn there, but it says now when it, it, it says um, this is pretty soon to when he was was arrested, betrayed, and. And, and betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He said in John chapter 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, meaning the Passover. They came to Philip, who was from beside of Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. This is, it's a really cool, I will say, intermediate fulfillment of this prophecy in Zechariah 8.23, which would have full fulfillment, is going to have total fulfillment when Jesus returns. Oh my, 728. Okay, probably not going to make it through the whole next chapter. Now, Zechariah verses 9 through rather, Zechariah chapters 9 through um, 14 are among the most jam-packed full of messianic prophecies in the whole Bible. Just all over the place. Zechariah is, after the Psalms, maybe the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. And in chapter 9, it sort of begins here. It starts off, now if you remember from the book of Daniel, Daniel is given a vision while he was in Babylon and Persia. He was given a vision, a sweeping vision of all uh, of human history until the return of Christ. And remember, there was succeeding kingdoms. The, 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 first there would be the Babylonians, then there would be the Medes and the Persians. After that would be the Greeks, and after that the Romans. And then, and then when there was a, a corrupted version of the Roman Empire, that's when Jesus is supposed to return. In, in chapter so there's a lot, actually, in the book of Daniel about Alexander the Great. And Daniel, of course, written well before Alexander the Great uh, and the Greeks took over the world. And Zechariah is the same way. So we begin here with a prophecy about how the Greeks are going to come back and they're going to come in. It says, The burden of the uh, word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus, its resting place, the Syrians. For the eyes of men and all the uh, tribes of Israel are on the Lord. Also against Hamath, which borders on it, and against Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. So Tyre and Sidon, that's modern-day Lebanon, I believe. The Phoenicians, known for their great scholarship and wisdom. He says, I'm going to come against it. Now, he's going to come against it using instruments that are not his people. Actually, he's going to come against it using Alexander himself. Now, the people at the time, living at the time of Zechariah, are not going to understand a lot about this stuff. But believe me, the Jews who lived at the time that Alexander came in would have been startled at the accuracy of these prophecy. Verse 3, For, for Tyre built herself a tower, heaped up silver like the dust, 
and gold like the mire of the streets. Tyre and Sidon were one of the most wealthy uh, merchant nations of the world at the time. It's about 500 BC now. Behold, the Lord will cast her out. The Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. Now, Tyre, the reason that made Tyre an impregnable city was that the city was on an island. Most of the city was on an island offshore. And for those of you who were with us um, while we studied the book of uh, Daniel, you may remember that kingdom after kingdom attacked them. The Assyrians attacked them for five years uh, and, and couldn't defeat them. Even though they defeated everybody else, they couldn't get to Tyre. I mean, it's pretty hard, you know, uh, getting to an island nation. And they had walls out in the middle of the sea there uh, uh, that were very high. Then Nebuchadnezzar, for 13 years, tried to defeat Tyre. He couldn't do it. But then finally, in fulfillment of this prophecy right here, as well as the prophecy I believe in Ezekiel, that the mainland, so there's two parts of Tyre. There was part, part of it was on the mainland and there was, there was a city. There was actually a prophecy that the mainland would be, would be Tyre would be so defeated that the mainland would be like bald rocks, bald face rocks. Now, at the, so along comes um, Alexander the Great, and he takes over Tyre and defeats the island within seven months. How does he do it? He takes all the rubble from the former kingdom that was on the part of the mainland. He builds a causeway um, out to the island, and he takes it. It says here, verse 4, Behold, the Lord will cast her out. And that's what he did. He used Alexander. He will destroy her power in the sea. So, you know, we look at history. And we say, is this history or is this his story? It's his story. That's what it is. It's his story. Ashkelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall be very fearful. Ekron, for he dried up her expectation. So those areas, actually, can we put up the map, uh, Sean? So Tyre and Sidon, hopefully Tyre and Sidon will be on this map. Is it? Here we go. Tyre and Sidon are up here. So now we just read about Ashkelon and, um, and, and Ashdad right here. And it says that it, it, it says that um, in verse 5, they shall see all this in fear. It's like, you're kidding me. Someone defeated Tyre, and they were gripped with fear, and rightly so, because Alexander the Great went from here, and he went right down here, and he wiped them, he wiped them all out. He, verse 6 says, a mixed race shall settle in Ashdod. I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. This is... Philistine city-states here, if you can read that. This is the Philistine city-states. They were a racist people. They believed in the purity of their blood. Uh, it, it, it says there, look, you guys, you're so proud of your blood. Verse 6, actually, the King James Version says, a bastard race shall settle in Ashdod. Good King James Version. We love it. We love the King James Version. and we, That's what it says. A mixed race. So all their pride will be, as, will be as not. Verse 7, I will take away the blood from his mouth. The Philistines, you know, some people ask sometimes, you know, why did they, um, Jews outlaw drinking blood and, and, and why did they have the blood drained from the animals that they sacrificed? The reason was is because the pagan nations, they offered drink offerings of blood, including the Philistines. Psalm 16, David says, um, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. So, so that's, the, what the, that's what the reference is right there. Um, it says in verse 8, I will... 
I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor um, pass through them. So here's, here's the startling miracle. It says, no more shall the oppressor pass through them. It says in verse 8, it says, because of him who passes by. Alexander passed right by, um, he passed by Jerusalem and he didn't overtake it. He let them continue with their worship and their sort of, you could call self-governance. He didn't wipe out the city and he went on here. Why? Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, tells a story. Now, this is not the word of God, but we have every reason to believe that it's true, that when Nebuchadnezzar, uh, rather, when Alexander the Great was besieging Tyre, he sent to this area for grain, uh, the Jews for grain, uh, some of this area, very uh, fertile soil. They refused to give him grain. You don't want to do that with Alexander the Great. No, 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 no. Big mistake. So after he, he, he finished conquering them, he went south um, to, to destroy Jerusalem. According to the historian Josephus, who lived about the time, 70 AD, about the time of, uh, he did live at the time of Ju- the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, Josephus writes that the high priest had a vision from the Lord and he f- they found out that, that Alexander was going to come on Jerusalem. By, by now, de- he's destroyed Tyre. He knows Jerusalem is toast if the Lord doesn't do something. And according to Josephus, the high priest had a vision. And in the vision, um, all the multitude, the population of, of, of Israel met Alexander coming into the city dressed in white. So he ordered all the people to dress in white. And he, uh, he ordered all the people to dress in white. And he, the high priest, put on his formal garb with his, his miter. There's purple in the, this type of thing. And it says that when, according to Josephus, when he approached the city, he was stunned at the, what he saw. The, li- the, the roads were lined with robes of, of white and people in, in robes of white and then he looks at the high priest, and it says at that time, Josephus says at that time, he, he, he prostrated himself um, before the high priest. And, and then he winds up talking to the high priest, and they asked him, well, why, why all this, you know, why, why are you prostrating yourself before their God? And as it turns out, um, According to Josephus, Alexander himself, when he was back in Macedon, back in Greece, had had a dream of this very thing happening. This very thing happening of the streets lined with people with white robes of a high priest. And in that dream, he said, God told me that I was going to be the conqueror of all the earth. This is what Josephus writes. Now, there's reason to believe it because he didn't come in. Alexander didn't come in. He completely left Jerusalem untouched. In fact, he made a pact with the people of Jerusalem that they can continue their self-governance. They can continue their worship. This is an amazing thing. Uh, and, 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 and note, again, in verse 8, it says... I will, I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by. No more shall the oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my eyes. And so we're going to close with this very familiar passage from quoted by Matthew, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, Your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the Jews knew this to be a messianic prophecy. They knew it. 
They knew this is a reference to the Messiah. And so when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he knew he was king. He knew he was the Messiah. And so he told his disciples, okay, you're going to go into the city and you're going to see, um, you're going to see a donkey there. Just take it and bring it to me. And if the owner say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Just say, the Lord needs it. And so they went in and they started un, you know, unstrapping this donkey. And the owners were like, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? The Lord needs it. Oh, okay, go for it. <laughs> and so he, uh, the, he, he comes in riding on a donkey. Matthew, uh, Matthew uh, recognizes that, quotes it. The people recognize the same thing. They knew that Messiah was going to co- come lowly, riding on a jo- donkey. The, Bi- the Bible says next time he's going to be coming a, 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 in a horse, <laughs> Uh, a, a, a horse of war, if you will. But the first time when he was coming, um, I, I like this, he is just having salvation. That's what Jesus did when he came into Jerusalem. He was just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so here, all of a sudden, as we see the prophets do throughout the Old Testament, all of a sudden, they, they go from, the, the prophets is one of the difficult things of reading the prophets in the Old Testament. They'll go from immediate fulfillment to short term to intermediate term to long term. Here he, he encourages, Zechariah encourages the people there that Messiah is going to be coming into this city. You need to rebuild it. So the, the prophecy had a purpose then when it was given, and that was to encourage the people, and indeed they did rebuild the city. But of course, it, has a, it had a purpose to the people when they saw Jesus coming in Jerusalem because, um, wow, now is the time to shout Hosanna. And it has a purpose for us living 2,500 years later because we're so encouraged about, wow, the Lord prophesied this Zechariah through Zechariah. 500 years before Jesus came in, and it really did happen. He came in, bringing salvation to, to Jerusalem. So we will, um, we will pick that up, pick it up in, in, in verse 10 next week. The last